You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate or I enjoy uh, this time of year are the Christmas-themed cartoons and memes and other things that people put on Facebook. I'm confident that those of you here really do understand the true meaning of Christmas, and it's not the, the fun and the games, and we enjoy all those things, but Christmas is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's the arrival of God into the world. That's what Christmas is about. And this is the baby, Jesus, the one who's going to grow up. And as the son of God, he's going to die in our place that we would have a restored relationship with our heavenly father. And this was necessary because sin had entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve way back in the time of the garden. And for those, that long period of time, Years, hundreds, if not a couple thousand years, sin was allowed to exist and there was a separationist gap until Jesus came. Now, what's interesting is that when the crisis of the fall happened in the Garden Garden of Eden, even then, even at that moment, God had a plan. He had a solution. One day, he knew he would send his son to be miraculously born and to sacrificially die so that sin would be defeated. And as a result, life would be made available to all who would choose to believe and to receive the gift of eternal life. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we rejoice and we we enjoy this season. In the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to give attention to a relatively short verse that is in an Old Testament book of Isaiah. Now in this verse... The prophet Isaiah, he foretold the the birth of Jesus. He did it, though, about 700 years prior to the actual birth. I know in your worship guide in the outline it says 600 years. It's actually 700 years. In fact, some scholars think it could be as much as 750 years. So that far in advance that he said the birth of Jesus is going to come. Now, he also identified four different names by which Jesus would be known and the provision for salvation that Jesus would bring for all of humanity. So before I read the verse, though, and it's there in your worship guide, so I know you probably have already read it, but before we actually get to that, let me give you a little context for this verse. Why, why does this matter? So again, this is about 700 years before the birth of Christ. All we know about Isaiah is what is written in the book that's named after him. So there's, he's mentioned 57 times in the New Testament, but it's only about what's in Isaiah itself. There's no additional information out there. So all we know about him is what's here. Now, like all Old Testament prophets, Isaiah was wired a bit differently than most people. He, in one occasion, he had a son for the sole purpose of giving him a name. And the name was Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Basically, God was really upset with the Israelites because they kept looking to human solutions to solve their problems and were turning away from him. And because of that, he was going to send the Assyrians to come and plunder and take away all the wealth of Israel back into Assyria. So to mark this coming tragedy and this moment thing, he named his son, quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Imagine being that kid. (laughs) 
I mean, seriously, that, if any kid needed therapy growing, uh, I mean, how did, that's my name, is, is to remind people of the terrible tragedy that's coming in. Good Lord. So that was one instance in his, in, his, in his life. There's another time later on where Israel made an alliance with Egypt. Again, their whole thing was that they kept looking for human solutions to their circumstances and predicaments. And God was really displeased with the fact that, he, that they had made this alliance with Egypt. And so he tells Isaiah, I want you to walk around naked for three years as a reminder of my displeasure. And Isaiah did. Three years. Imagine that. Uh, uh, here's Isaiah. You know, it's, coming, you know, it's coming by again for his walk through the, the neighborhood. Um, three years. And there's a few other prophet-like things that he did during his lifetime, but that really is the person we're talking about here. I mean, he just, if he sensed that God had said something and he, he had understood that this is what God wanted, he had no hesitation to act on it, even if it was embarrassing and even possibly even shameful for him and his family. Now, it's interesting, in the very first verse of Isaiah, verse, uh, chapter, verse 1 of chapter 1, he describes what he's about to write, or what, what he's written there, as a vision. Now, but it's not just a singular vision, like it's a dream he had. It's actually a compilation of visions during the reign of four different kings of Judah. So it's over an extended period of time. Um, I, I mean, we're talking a couple decades, multiple decades of, of time period that he's sharing what God has told him during this time. Most of the book is about the condemnation of Israel. He's condemning them for their rejection of God and for their sinful behavior. So if, if you're looking at a genre for it, it's a prophetic book because it's, it's looking at the future, but it's, it's a tragedy is what it is. Because time and time again, Elijah... On behalf of God, says, people, if you'll just turn to God, if you'll just turn to me, if you'll just change your ways, things will get better. Things will turn different. But time and time and time and time again, the people don't do it. They disobey. And they continually make the wrong choices. The first eight chapters of, of Isaiah is nothing but doom and gloom and judgment. Honestly, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, first eight chapters of Isaiah will help. Is just, it is just heavy, heavy stuff that is just, it's, it's not, uh, it's just really sad. And then we get to chapter 9. And then we get to chapter 9. And what's interesting, it's only seven verses. So it's almost, even within this chapter, it's a small blip, what we see here. And he starts off the chapter by saying this. So all these bad things are happening. You're bad, you're terrible, and God's judgment is coming, and all these things are happening. Nevertheless... He starts that chapter, there will come a time when things won't be so gloomy. A day is coming when you won't be oppressed by foreign nations. A day is coming when there will be no more war. A day is coming when a righteous king will reign over all. And then in verse 8, he jumps right back into the doom and gloom and judgment again. So this is a real snippet right here that where our verse we're going to be looking at here for the next few weeks is embedded. And what's really interesting is in verse 6, Isaiah talks about the righteous king. He doesn't talk about a king leading a great army, a military uh, conquest. He talks about a baby, of all things. So you have it there in your worship guide. If you want to follow along on, on, on the screen, Isaiah verse 6. 
of chapter 9. Are we able to get that up there? There it is. For, let's, read, let's read it all together, shall we? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Isaiah and his willingness to put down on paper just his experiences, what he'd heard from you, and to capture some of these thoughts and impressions and his understanding of what you were saying to him 700 or, or more, maybe even more, at least 700 years before they actually happened. What an amazing thing. Lord, I thank you that we get the chance to now dig into this a little bit and help us to understand. Holy Spirit, speak to us what you desire for us to hear this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it... Um, probably comes as no surprise to those of you who know me very well. Um, I'm really fascinated by irony. I just love the irony of life and some things. Um, a favorite song of mine is uh, um, from Dave Matthews' band, uh, Funny the Way It Is. As some of you may be familiar with it. Funny the way it is, if you think about it, somebody is going hungry and someone else is eating out. Funny the way it is, it's not right or wrong, Somebody's heart is broken, and it becomes your favorite song. Funny the way it is, if you think about it, one kid walks 10 miles to school, another's dropping out. Funny the way it is. And it goes on. It's actually pretty creative what he's doing there. But the thing that I find really ironic about the verse we just read, what Isaiah was saying there, is that there's nothing in it that actually points to Jesus. So we talk about a child and a son, and there's some descriptive words, but there's nothing there that would say, this is Jesus, the Son of God. This could, in any, could almost be any person in history, a historical figure, This who this could be. So how is it we came to connect Jesus to this passage would be, for me, a logical question. What's interesting, though, we get our understanding of this verse not from the, this passage itself, but from New Testament writers. In this case, specifically Matthew in chapter 4, he's talking about Jesus, his life, and he said that Jesus went and lived up in the Galilee area. And then he says in chapter 4, and then he says in, in verses uh, 13 to 16, he says, Jesus did this to fulfill what was written by Isaiah back in the day. But in a bit of even further irony, he doesn't refer to the verse we just read. He actually refers to a couple of verses prior to this as the fulfillment of, of Jesus being the fulfillment of that passage. So even though he's connecting Jesus to this passage, it's not to this verse description per se. However, because this is a singular description, we're able to say, if Matthew is saying that Jesus applies up here, he also applies here in the passage we just read. So clearly what we've learned is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the writers of the Gospels, Paul in his writings, all looked at this verse in Isaiah, this passage from Isaiah, as Jesus is the one who fulfills it for us. So we actually get our understanding of this passage from the, the New Testament writers. I just find that ironic. Anyway, so anyway... 
For the next few weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, we're going to look at the four characteristics that are found in this passage. And so today, being the first one, we're going to look at the first descriptive word is wonderful counselor. Now, it's important that we realize that when we talk about this word counselor, it's not a psychologist. Jesus is not a shrink, okay? Uh, it's not about, you know, laying on the couch and telling him your woes and, you know, and, and he, he helps you become self-actualized or something like that. We understand wonderful counselor here in this idea of an advisor, someone who is a consultant, or they're going to give counsel, they're going to help you identify your purpose, or they're going to help you devise a plan. Counselor is how it's being described and understood in this particular context. Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, helps us with decisions, and he guides us through the challenges of life. So how does he do that? few different ways. One is that Jesus brings comfort and rest. Jesus, as our counselor, brings comfort and rest. I am not an event planner. I can do it. I mean, I can plan. I can, I can work at all the things. But um, I find it so overwhelmingly stressful. I literally lose sleep wondering about all the loose ends and who's taking care of what. And it's just a really bad fit for me. And so over the past year, obviously with an organization like Grace Covenant, we have events and we have things. And there's been a couple times when there's a staff, where, you know, we're talking about what's happening and you know, we've had to, had to plan for different things. And I find myself getting really stressed out. And fortunately, Kate has stepped in and says, I'll take this for you. I got it. Christy's done the same for me on a couple of occasions as well and just said, listen, you don't worry, we'll take this for you. And I literally can just feel the weight of life just lift off my shoulders and like, oh, thank you. Um, this is such a relief. And I mean, literally, it's a physical feeling of the emotional weight that's being lifted off of me. To know that someone is on your side, to know that someone is giving you good counsel, to know that someone is working on your behalf, someone who is smarter, stronger, wiser, someone who is looking out for me, I find great comfort in that. I'm able to relax and rest knowing that I don't have to sweat over this. Someone else has got it covered. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking about himself. He says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Jesus recognizes this is part of who he is and what he does. And he recognizes the human condition, the fact that we tend to take things on ourselves and we, we carry things that we're not meant to carry and we we're weighed down by things that we're not meant to be weighed down by. And we just need to give them to our counselor, our advisor, one who can help us. Jesus, as our wonderful counselor, brings us comfort and rest. You don't need to carry life's burdens on your own. Jesus also guides us with supernatural wisdom, giving us insight and understanding. Jesus is also our advocate. You know, in the legal world, another word for attorney or lawyer is counselor. So as my counselor, an attorney is looking out for my best interests. There's my advocate that they're trying to, they're advocating on my behalf to make sure that things work out for best for me. 
Um, last, when we sold our house in Huntersville and moved to Mooresville here a little over a year ago, we sold our house on our own. We didn't use a realtor, but we did use an attorney for the closing for very simple reasons. We wanted to make sure that it was all legal, and we wanted to make sure that the transaction happened the way that it was supposed to happen. And that unless you've got somebody who knows, wait, we needed to cross this T here, and you haven't dotted your I there, if something's amiss, things can really go wrong and things can go bad. To have an expert who understands the situation, the circumstance, the process, the procedure, the law, to work that out for us, is really, really good. And that's what Jesus does for us. He is our advocate. The idea of an advocate is just like that is one of an attorney. In the ancient world, people offered their own sacrifices as gifts to their gods. That's what they did. People would have their own, they would, as a means of appeasing God, of trying to have better crops, to avoid suffering and pain, or whatever means they would offer sacrifices. With Moses, however... We see this in the Old Testament. When Moses came out and instituted the, the, the Old Testament law, that began to change and that only priests could offer sacrifices. You didn't have individuals offering sacrifices on their own anymore. The, that was done intentionally. The purpose of that was to show that people cannot save themselves. They cannot please God by their own efforts. People do not even have the right to approach God. A priest must do that on their behalf. That's what the law did. It established that gap, that separation in a visible format, what was actually in existence in a spiritual understanding. But that's what was happening. The priests were the advocates on behalf of the people before God. And then Jesus became our advocate. Hebrews 7, and I know it's not in your, your worship guide, but Hebrews 7 says, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he, Jesus, always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest, Jesus, truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. That's what Jesus did. He's our advocate. He is our high priest. First John 2, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Romans 8, 34, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, it was him. He is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is our advocate, interceding, advocating on behalf of us. With Jesus as our counselor, we have the best representation possible. The perfect advocate working on our behalf before the Father. <clears throat> Lastly, Jesus is ever present to help us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So the question then, because all right, here's what he does. How does he do it? How does that happen for us? And there's four things we've, we've identified there in your worship guide. One is through prayer. In prayer, God will sometimes speak to your mind. Sometimes there's just this quiet confidence that you have a sense. You just know that God is speaking to you. But even more importantly, I think sometimes... 
that we use prayer as a means of engagement, of engaging God on our own. In other words, sometimes it's the giving of our petitions through prayer that is how he counsels with us. It's the giving up and releasing of that weight of that burden that is significant through prayer. Through the Holy Spirit is another way. And we see that in John 14, 15, and 17. If you love me and you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So notice that Jesus fulfilled that role, but he identifies the Holy Spirit as our counselor as well. And sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak to us, to our hearts and to our minds. Through his word, the Bible is a third way. We know that God can speak to us through the word, that even though this was, this was written hundreds of years before the time of Christ, almost 3,000 years ago, it still speaks to us today about how we're to live our life and about how God wants to relate to us and interact with us each day. Lastly, Jesus counsels us through other believers. I love what it says in Ephesians 4. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The idea that Jesus can counsel others through us is actually a pretty cool thought. But it also is a sobering thought too, that we need to be very careful of the words we choose and the words we use. Essentially, these four things, prayer, the Holy Spirit, the Word, and other believers, these are means by which we hear from God. These are the means by which we hear from God. You know, um, this past Thursday, I think it was actually when we were setting some things up here, I, I cut my thumb, the tip of my thumb. Um, that wasn't deep cut, you know, it wasn't that big. In fact, I didn't even put a Band-Aid on it. You know, it bled for a little bit, but, you know, it, it, it stopped after a little bit, and so I didn't worry about it. And, but, uh, and yet, even this morning... You know, so th- um, th- three days later, every time my thumb touches something, a little sensation of pain kind of shoots through my thumb. And it reminds me, it's like, oh yeah, I, I cut that. I had no idea how many things my th- thumb, the tip of my thumb touches. You know, for the last three days, it's like almost constantly, I was like, ouch. And I kept touching and so I, I used my thumb tip a lot, I discovered. Uh, more than I uh, realized. And whereas I used to pay no attention to what I touched or picked up. You know, I just grabbed it or moved it and touched it. And I now find myself thinking before I grab it, like, okay, well, maybe I can grab it this way because I don't want to hit that. And because it hurts a little bit. Um, again, nothing major. I know I'm just whining, but still. Um, I think it's the same way with God. It doesn't do us any good if we're going through life not paying attention to God's counsel. Does your life have a rhythm to it that allows you to listen and to hear from God? You know, this past week I was talking to Pastor Farrell and I was sharing with him just kind of one of my frustrations this past year. Just, I, I've just really, I've struggled to find a rhythm for working on my sermons. You know, where there's just some constancy and and because of that, it's not uncommon for me to be working, finishing up my sermon on Saturday nights. Um, and I, I, I don't like that. I want to, I want to be prepared before then. And, and Farrell's comments, yeah, you know, he's, he's struggled with that. But 
and part of it is because there's so many unplanned things that happen in the course of a week, and we all experience that. I think, I think that's, that's nothing unique to me. And, but he was sharing, he said, that's why I work in my sermons between 4 and 7 a.m. during the day. I didn't laugh out loud, but it was like, uh, <laughs> huh, okay. Um, I'm really hoping I settle on a different rhythm than that. <laughs> but his point is well made. If something is important enough, you do what you have to do in order to make it happen. If you want to get the most out of Jesus, your counselor, your advocate, you need to give the time to develop a life rhythm that allows you to hear what he has to say. I think that's where a lot of us struggle with the busyness and hecticness of life. And so I guess my encouragement would be this holiday season as we're coming into Christmas to be intentional about crafting some rhythms. And maybe, it's, maybe you're not able to make it a long-term thing. Maybe it's something you can adjust and change, but work at it. Try to make a change in the way that you can listen and hear what your counselor has to say, that the load that you may be carrying, you can get rid of and you can get re, uh, relief from that. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I'm so very grateful for the words from, Eli, or from Isaiah and uh, for his recognition of what was to come. The fact that you gave him some insight and an understanding of what was the future. And Lord, I, I, I wish some of us could take a look at our future sometimes as well to see what's coming and recognize that some of the things that we're anxious about today really aren't that big a deal. And Lord, if we could just see into tomorrow, realize that they're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. The situation will resolve itself and, and things will be worked out. And, and Lord, we don't need to stress to the degree we're stressing. So Lord, my prayer is that for anyone here who's feeling overwhelmed and burdened by the cares of life this morning, that they would be able to release it to you, their counselor, their advocate. Lord, and they would find peace and comfort in that releasing to you. Father, I suspect that there's others here this morning who are really needing a sense of guidance, of direction for their life. And they need that advice. They need that counsel. They need that perspective that allows them to make the godly, the wise choice. Father, I pray that they would have that sense of clarity even now, Lord, even in this moment. May they understand and have clarity what you want them to do. Lord God, this thing of faith, it's not, a, it's not a list of rules. It's not a regulations. It's, Lord, it's a very dynamic process and it requires us to get to know you and spend time with you. It depends on our, our relationship with you and our ability to hear you speak to our minds and to speak to our hearts. And Lord, then it requires us to have the courage and the strength to act accordingly. So God, help us to develop those rhythms. Help us to hear this Christmas season. Lord, help us to be courageous people of strength. Father, we give ourselves to you for your purposes. We, we're, we rejoice that Jesus has come and we benefit from that in such a significant way. So Lord, we give this ourselves to you. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name I pray. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.